Thank you guys very much. It's great to be here with you again tonight. Um, I, it seems like there's fewer and fewer people in the front. And I don't know if that's because I come real close and spit on you, or I don't know what it's Garrett. It's okay. I haven't spit on you yet. Okay. Anyway, welcome. Anybody here for the first time? Anybody first time here at Alpha? Welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, uh, anybody here? All seven. Seven in a row. Okay, that is fantastic. All right. You don't. This. I mean, graduation is going to be amazing. So you do not want to miss that. Well, um, tonight, interesting week to start. Uh, tonight, the topic. We're on page sixty-six. How? How can I resist evil? Um, some would ask, why do I want to resist evil? Some just don't really care about that at all. But this is, this is part and parcel what we're talking about in terms of the scripture. You could actually take two weeks ago, how and why should I read the Bible? Last week, how and why do we pray? Should we pray? Those two elements right there of coming to know the true, the living God through his word, through the Bible, and coming to experience him as well through prayer are two amazing ways, I would say the major ways of, of resisting evil. And so uh, tonight we basically, we talk about the devil, kind of a strange topic to talk about, but we talk about the devil, we talk about evil. Um, and the Bible teaches, really, from Genesis to, Genesis to Revelation, this person called Satan. That he's a created being, that he rebelled against God, that a third of the angels rebelled with him, and that he opposed and opposes God. And he desires to destroy men and women, keeping us from the true knowledge of God. Now... As, as we've said, Alpha is an introduction to Christianity, so we're going to kind of, what we're talking about is what is in the scripture, and the scripture clearly talks about a person, a, an evil person, evil being. In 47 times throughout the Bible, we see the person of Satan as mentioned. Uh, 33 more times when it speaks of the devil. It, predominantly, we find these in the New Testament, and as, you're, as, as the manual shows us, we, you know, we can see from through the scriptures, uh, the Bible presents this personal, spiritual being that is an active rebellion against God. And we, we see Paul writes, the, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians. Look at this here. This is what Paul writes to those. Now, again, for those of you who are here for the first time, I'm going to use some vernacular. It's going to sound really weird. Um, like, but these are for, for, these are for folks who are, have truly surrendered to Christ. They're in the wheelbarrow. They've said, I do. They've received the gift. This is what, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Finally, this very end of his letter to this church, uh, in the town of Ephesus, he says this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that you may be able to stand against evil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is saying clearly to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, even those who are not, those of you who are, there is 
an evil entity that is out for the purpose of doing you in. And as difficult as that may be to believe, the issue is not really whether or not it's hard to believe. The issue is whether or not it's true. And just because something's hard to believe, it doesn't mean it's untrue. I mean, we believe in God. We believe in a supernatural being called God. You, all of you have been here week one and two. Raise your hand, believing there's something that we cannot see that is there. So just because it may be difficult to believe that evil is not just a, an impersonal force, but actually beings, the scripture says clearly that it is. Now, the scripture may be wrong. But we're looking and seeing what the Bible has to say. But look at this. Let's just think this thing through just for a moment here. If, if Scripture gives us... Um, if, I'm sorry, I got a little bit ahead of myself. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus died. Now that, that makes sense, right? If there's no resurrection if they're from the dead, if there's not first death. And the reason he died <clears throat> was to free us from sin and death. He came to destroy sin and death. So that sin that the Bible says we're bound into and that death that we're headed for and that death that we have in terms of our relationship with God, he came to deal away with that. And the reason he had to die was because our parents, Adam and Eve, caved into the lies and temptation of the serpent in the garden. That's what we learn in Genesis chapter 3. This serpent is also known as the devil, or Satan. John writes, in his first letter to the church, he writes, for this purpose, Jesus was revealed. For this purpose, he came into the earth to destroy the works of the evil one. Now, that's either true or false. He either did or he didn't. But the apostle John makes very clear that there is a evil being whose name is the devil, Satan, that Jesus came to destroy his works. And his greatest work, we're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute, is to destroy you and to destroy me. So if there is a devil, according to the scripture, if there is a devil, I, I think it'd be important to take his work against you very personally. I mean, if you knew somebody was out for your destruction, would you take that personally? I think you would. If you knew somebody was out to do you in, you would want to know everything you could about that person to make sure they didn't do you in. That he's out to destroy us. According to the scripture, if we don't allow the work of Jesus to destroy Satan's work in our lives, then simply put, Satan will ultimately and totally destroy our lives. Does that sound serious enough to you? Does that get your attention? It, it should get our attention to give some consideration to this. Because if Jesus is raised from the dead, I would argue it bonifies everything else that's in the scripture. Jesus wrestled with Satan. In the garden, Adam and Eve caved in, as I said, to Satan. The apostles talked about ways to deal with the schemes of the enemy. If the Bible is true and there are demons, there is no really, there's really no way to deal with them other than 
knowing what the Bible says. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of Satan, particularly to us in our lives. Wayne Gruden wrote in his uh, Systematic Theology, a huge book on the beliefs of Scripture. He says, if Scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, if it does give us a true account of the world as it really is, then we must take seriously its portrayal of intense demonic involvement in human society, in people's lives. Now hear this, our failure to perceive that involvement with our five senses simply tells us that we have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world. Not that demons do not exist. See, just because you and I can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, There's lots we can't see that are there, right? Um, Let me ask you a question here. Let me just, just... Right now, um, in your bed, um, do you know what this is, by the way? Any of you know what this is? Thankfully, this is not actual size. Um, this, this is a dust mite blown up about two times is all. Um, uh, there, are, there are thousands of these things, and probably right now, there's a dust mite orgy happening in your bed. Um, I know that's a great thought to just throw those covers back tonight, and uh, there they are. But I'll just give you a little scientific uh, truth here. Um, a typical used mattress, this scientific here, I'm not making this up, it's just believe what's on this paper. Um, a, a typically used mattress may have anywhere from 100,000 to 10 million mites inside of it. This is my favorite. 10% of the weight of a two-year-old pillow can be composed of dead mites and their droppings. So, tonight's Alpha is is brought to you by (laughs) MyPillow.com. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world. Visit MyPillow.com. I'm sorry. We're running a little short in budget, so we're, our, official, our official sponsor tonight is MyPillow. So anyway, but just because we can't see them doesn't mean they can't hurt us. I know people that are very allergic to these things. What about something else you can't see? Anybody, maybe some of the doctors in the house would have an idea what... This is, in a little Petri dish here, magnified greatly. Uh, ben, do you know what this is, Ben? And, I'm sorry, doctor, it's the swine flu virus. I... Okay, I mean, swine flu just did some really terrible... Could you see it? No, they couldn't see it unless you look at it under a microscope. Uh, thanks for playing, anyway, Ben. Um, but... Ben, uh, Jamie probably knew what it was, but, um, but, you know, they were finally able, you know, this, 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 again, you couldn't see it, but it caused a lot of damage, but they were finally able to isolate the original source of the swine flu virus, and I thought you guys would want to know about that, this is how they did that, um, uh, so anyway, <laughs> So, but 
you know, the, the fact of the matter is microscopes have been, have been used to discover things that we cannot see with the naked eye. But they're real. Before microscopes, we were only to be able to see the effects of the unseen world. We didn't see the cause. Clearly, there are, there are things that we cannot see that can harm us. They're there, and our ability to see them is really irrelevant as to whether or not they can do us harm or affect us. What we cannot see can hurt us, and many times does. And so if you look at that in the physical world, we just take that to the spiritual world for a moment. The microscope of Scripture brings us into the spirit realm to see things that we would not see but for God using the Bible to make them real to us, to bring them to light that we may, to some degree, comprehend the presence of things. Things that desire, according to Scripture, to deceive us and to do us harm. And ignorance to those things do not exempt us from their effects. So on page 67, we're looking at uh, what are the devil's tactics? Let's just look at a couple of those things. Well, the Bible teaches that Satan has come to deceive. He's come with some pretty deceptive devices to keep us from thinking biblically about him. And through the ages, we get these kind of ghoulish or caricature-like images of evil. We get them sometimes through religious, but I would argue non-biblical thinking. We get them through movies and TV, through the arts, through video games. My goodness. Uh, Music, various other media. And uh, Satan, I would say, is all too happy to use the fiction of Hollywood and Halloween to accomplish his purposes. I mean, if you look at, if you just look at movies, I mean, I just Google satanic movies, and I mean, it just, everything just blows up with the, the number of, just, we just want to be scared. But the question is, where are we getting our theology from? Are we getting our theology from Halloween? Are we getting our theology from Hollywood? Um, maybe, um, maybe we get our, from the church lady. I mean, if anybody knew if something was about Satan, the church lady certainly did. Or maybe we, we learn more about Satan from uh, Jack Black. I love Jack Black. He led the congregation at the MTV Music Awards in 2009, leading the, the audience and all that were lis- listening and watching it to a prayer, in a prayer to our dear, dark Lord, Satan. So, I mean, I'm sure it was all in jest, but even Fox gave Lucifer his own TV show. I don't know if you happen to see that. But, um, so all of these things can keep us from thinking seriously or biblically and begin to think of those things as nonsensical, ancient, simplistic thinking. And possibly if we're thinking that way, these efforts have been successful. C.S. Lewis, former atheist, as you know, renowned author, a scholar, teacher, professor. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. If you don't believe at all, cool. If you believe too much and you're obsessed with that, 
cool. It's the Bible that teaches us. The Bible says that we need to have an understanding of this evil that is against us correctly. And the Bible would teach that, that the devil fights on two fronts and he has two intentions. One, again, is to keep us out of the wheelbarrow. To keep us from saying, I do, receiving the gift. To keep us on this attempt, this validating performance record effort to hope that we're good enough. Or if we have surrendered to Christ, if we said, I have said I do, to keep us from really experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ through our lives. But his hope for those of us who are not in Christ is to totally, eventually, totally destroy us. This is what Jesus said in John. We have it recorded in John chapter 10. Jesus said, for this purpose, I'm sorry, the thief comes, look what it says, only to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's his resume. In a nutshell, here's his resume. If you're looking to hire somebody like this, this is your guy. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Not necessarily to take your stuff. Uh, He can help us get plenty of stuff while destroying us along the way. If we begin to think our life is in our stuff, our life is in what we have, not in who has us. What else does he do? Not only does he come to steal and kill and destroy, within that his whole idea is to keep us blind, okay, to our needs by keeping us from the truth. This is what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving, that they may not, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So his, his intention is through circumstances and beliefs, or lacks of belief, to keep us from seeing them. He wants to keep us blind to our true need by keeping us from the truth. Well, well how, how, do, how does that happen? It doesn't seem like there's any spiritual activity in my life. I've never seen a devil. I've never seen or experienced any of that. And I understand that. I've had some amazing experiences. Annette and I have had some very fascinating experiences. Uh, But I've never seen anything with horns. Never seen anything that looks like a raving wolf. But that doesn't mean that he's not real. He works through lies which take the form of temptation and accusation. This is what Jesus had to say. Very powerful statement that Jesus said in the 8th in the chapter of John. He says, he, and he's speaking here to the religious, this is interesting. Jesus is pointing these words at the, the religious leaders in Israel. And this is what he says to them. You are, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So he is a liar, a deceiver. As a deceiver, look, I would argue that Satan even uses self-reliant religion to motivate us to look to ourselves. To look to ourselves as the master of our fate and the captain of our souls. To look to ourselves for salvation and, and joy and hope and meaning and 
purpose. And a major way to do that is to keep us out of the Bible. If I don't know what God's word has to say about this, I'll have no context. I'll have no footing. And this will all seem pretty ridiculous. He also does this by removing God from the public square. It's interesting when you look and see the areas in which you could pray, you can't pray. Where there could be a cross, there can't be a cross. When you look at these things, is there something behind that other than just secularism? Is there something behind that? I ask you that, put that question to you. See, but if there is no God, there is no right or wrong, right? So if we move God from the public square, we remove God, there's no right or wrong. Who is to say what's right and what's wrong if there is no God? Really? Who determines that? If we are really the highest thing that there is, who determines what's right and what's wrong and how do you have the right to tell me what I can do and what I can't do? If there's not a higher power, a higher determiner, then no one but humans can say that. So what do we have to show for living like that with all of our technology and advancements? We getting along better? I wouldn't say so. So by removing God. Another is distorting the truth. Okay? I mean, you think if, okay, if you get in the wheelbarrow, if you surrender to Christ, if you say, yes, I do to him and um, receive the gift, when I'd say a distortion of the truth is, well, that's all the fun I ever had in life. That's about done now. All I'll do is go to church and give all my money away. Um, or I'll just, I'll end up, I'll just get a one-way ticket to Africa. Right? And just be a missionary the rest of my life till I get eaten. Um, but I, I get to spend more time on Bourbon Street, um, but not with a hurricane in my hand, but with a big wooden cross and a megaphone, just telling all the sinners to repent because they're going to hell. Um, worse yet, if you come to Christ, you, you end up uh, dressing in black and white and serving cake and drinks on Tuesday night. That could really be good. <laughs> um, but you know, one of, the, one of the biggest ones I found is, that, is the thought that you just, you can't live up to this. You can't live up to this. Well, I've been telling you that for six weeks. But that thought, if I get in the wheelbarrow, if I surrender, if I receive the gift, if I say I do, how can I live up to this? Like. Um, I had a dear friend from high school, um, his name is Renee, um, we went to, we graduated in 74 together, and, um, Renee went on to Tulane, and at, at LSU is when I surrendered my life to Christ, that's where I met Annette, and I surrendered my life to Christ, and, uh, I would tell my friend Renee about Jesus, which was like, that's nice, Frank, that's very cool, um. But he was a chemical engineer out of Tulane, went to MBA, got a Stanford, uh, got a MBA from Stanford. Uh, and uh, so eventually, 1993, Renee and I are together and just going through kind of a tough time in his life. And he, he surrendered his life to Christ. And I just saw the difference in his life. It's amazing to see the difference in my friend's life. I mean, it's amazing. It was stark. It was exciting. He was excited about life. Um, and we were having lunch together one day, and he said to me, um, he says, Frank, you know, he said, do you know what took me so long to come to Christ? I was like, I really wanted to hear this. I was like, can I just write this down? And he said, sure. I said, well, tell me, what took you so long? He said, you. 
you? Like me. He says, yeah, because I was scared to death I was going to have to become just like you. And I did not want to be like you. I don't want to be like me. Um, But I don't know what to do about it. But there's a distortion in that. That you see somebody standing up here or you've got table hosts and they just seem to have it all together and no problem and everything else. Uh, That is not the case. That is not the case. And that is a distortion to make you think, well, I can never live like that. I can never be like that. And that is correct. None of us can. We're just called to be God's children and to let him come in and do with us what he will do with us. But those are the things he does. He's a liar. And not only is is he a liar, he is an accuser in the Book of Revelation, the last book in the scripture. I think this is what, yeah, yeah, this is it. But look at this. This is what John records in the book of Revelation. He says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a thief. He's an accuser. He's a distorter of the truth. And all he wants to do is destroy. That's all he wants to do. But look, look how the Bible says he is overcome. They, that is those who are in Christ, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by believing the work of Jesus on the cross, and the word of their testimony, by, simply, by saying, I do, by surrendering my life into his care. Now, I just I want us just to look at a few things here that just to to say what what I believe Satan does to keep us from thinking biblically. And a lot of us have a whole lot more experience in thinking in a self-condemning way or self-righteous way than we do in thinking biblically. I'm sure that's true of most of us in this room, me included. Let's look at some of the things. Tim Keller helped us with this. Accusations and temptations. You may want to write this down. I'll try, to, I'll try to keep this up on the board if you want to. If not, I'll put it back up there and get this to you. But just four simple things, but four really true things. One, he wants us to look more at our sinful works than the Savior's forgiving work. He wants us to concentrate more on the things we've done wrong than having believed Christ and accepted by him for the thing Christ did for us, that makes us right before God. Second, he wants us to obsess over looking at past sins or failures, where the result of the sin or the failure, and I'm not saying failure is a sin, I'm separating those two, where past sins or failures cannot be undone. I am sure in that room there is some of this. You have experienced things in your life that you cannot undo, and it has affected things. And you carry that weight of guilt with you. And the more you carry that weight of guilt with you, the more the enemy has his way. You look more at what you've done wrong than what Christ did right to deliver us from all of that. He wants us to think that current difficulties are a result 
of or punishment for past sins that you're just paying. It's karma. You're just paying for what you did wrong. That is not a biblical truth at all. And I'll show you that in just a moment biblically. Four, it causes to believe that we wouldn't have sinful desires or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we were really followers of Christ. I gave my life to Christ. I said that prayer. I've experienced God, but now I just don't feel anything. Where's that prayer? Can I pray that prayer again? I need to pray that prayer. I need a booster. No, you really don't. Because, let me just say, I've been a Christian for 43 years. Some of you haven't been on the planet for 43 years. I have sinned a whole lot more since I've surrendered my life to Christ than I did before I submitted my life to Christ. And he has never, ever, ever condemned me. Well, why is that? He's never, ever come after me. He has never, ever turned his back on me. Causing us to believe that our sinful desires wouldn't tackle us if we were really Christians. That is untrue. If you're really in the wheelbarrow. I'm, not, I'm going to pass on that right now. But look, this is, what, this is what Paul wrote. There is therefore now. Do you see those two words there? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so. You know I'm not going to let an evening go by without my, my styrofoam cups. So we're all born in Adam. If there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then unfortunately there still is condemnation for those who are in Adam. There are only two addresses in God's economy. Do you see that? I don't know if you believe it or not, but in God, the Bible says there are only two addresses. There is no neutral ground. There is no one foot in Christ and one foot in Adam. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. If we are in Adam, we are still of our father Adam and being in Adam makes us separated from Christ, dead, separated from him in our sins. But there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation. Let me ask you, Christ died on a cross some 2,000 years ago, thereabouts. Now, none of us, none of you were around for that, right? None of you were around for that. And when Jesus hanged there on the cross, he died for every sin of every person that would ever be committed. He hanged there and he died for all of those sins, How many sins had you committed back in 33 AD? He died for all of them. And so when I am placed, when I say, I do, I receive the gift, I believe you, I'm getting in the wheelbarrow, I'm totally turning my life over to you, and God, by his grace, regardless of my failures, places me in Christ and keeps me in Christ. How much condemnation do you think there is for Christ? None. So how much condemnation is there in Christ? 
And who's in Christ? You're in Christ. If you've surrendered to Him, you are in Him. There is no more condemnation. Why is there no more condemnation? Because Jesus Christ, in His grace and in His mercy, carried every bit of condemnation due you and me to a cross so that we wouldn't have to. According to the scripture, there is a devil. There are evil beings that want to keep us from, one, ever coming to Christ, staying in Adam, wanting to keep us from ever coming to Christ. I told you at the beginning of this evening, I think it would be a good idea to take this personally. As strange as it may sound, you have a target on your back. If what the Bible says is true, you have a target on your back. And its desire is to make sure you don't get out of the dash with Christ. That's sobering. That is sobering. So Christ died for our sins, past, present, and future. If there was no sin covered, if there was, pardon me, if there were any sins uncovered, do you know what Jesus would have to do? He'd have to come back down to earth and die for the sins that were left out. When Christ hanged there 2,000 years ago, he paid for our sins past, present, and future. The ones I haven't committed yet are paid for if what the Bible says is true. Because Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous Christ for the unrighteous Frank. To deliver me from death. To deliver me from my Adamic family. That's what the scripture says. There is nothing left to condemn if you are in Christ. And I can't imagine there being any better news than that, if that is true. So, let me just, I'm going to pass on that here. So, the, the fact of the matter is, Satan wants to keep us from experiencing the depth of relationship God has for us with him. And with those in the wheelbarrow with us. Because we're not in the wheelbarrow alone. And I am so grateful for that. So what is the position of the Christian? That's a good question. Well, the position of the Christian, as we talked about, is no longer in Adam, but in Christ. And Colossians 1.13 says this. For he delivered... Now, remember, this is written to believers. This is written to those who've confessed Christ. And asked them to take control of their lives. For he delivered us out of the domain of darkness... And transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay? So another term for being in Adam is being in the domain, the dominion, the dwelling place of darkness. You know, name for Satan is the prince of darkness. Okay? So he, he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, took us from the dominion of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what the scripture teaches. There's a change of address. Let me just kind of diagram this for us here. So dominion of darkness, kingdom of light. Now, this is, again, just hang on, take a deep breath, and hear what this is saying. 
And, and honestly, look, if there's a God that's here tonight, and I believe there is, and he's listening, and I believe he is, and he hears every one of you and every thought that you're thinking right now, and I believe he is, you have his attention. Is this crazy? Or is this true? Just ask him. If he says crazy, please tell me so we can try to straighten this out. But, so we're saying here, a change of address, an exchange of lives. It's not just a change of address, it's an exchange of lives. The Bible says we get a new life, a new heart. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But here's the dominion of darkness. The scripture says, I may be curious, convinced, callous, confused, but if I'm not in the wheelbarrow, if I've not received the gift, if I'm not said I do, I am still, my, my position before God is separated from him. If I am in Christ, if I'm committed, if I have surrendered to Christ and I've committed my life to his faithfulness, no longer my own faithfulness. Do you see that? I'm not talking about your commitment being faithful. I'm saying, Lord, I am committed to your faithfulness now, not mine. It's a huge difference, which I hope you hear. But these are the benefits, if you will, of living at this address. Uh, Your landlord, by the way, is Satan. Um, You may feel like he's your landlord now if you're renting. I'm not sure. You are under sin. You are separated from God. You are in bondage to sin. There's nothing you can do according to the Bible. They may be good things. You may come up with a cure for cancer. That's a great thing. But that has nothing to do with your or my spiritual position before God. There's coming destruction on the other side of our last heartbeat. There's really confusion in trying to make sense of life. There's deception. And there's a certain fear of the unknown. In the kingdom of light, Jesus is Lord. He is in charge. We have total forgiveness. We have been given eternal life that cannot be taken from us. We experience freedom in life. Even when things don't make sense, there is a sense of, God, I know you're in control. There's power in Christ, salvation. There is clarity. Not saying that we always at all times know what's going on, but I am clear that, God, you have made it clear that you're going to finish this work that you've begun in me. And there is truth. He is the truth. And I have him. And he is love. And I have him. This is, this is serious. And so God, as I said, sees only two addresses. So the question is, ha, if this is true, what, what, what do I do? Well, we've talked about this before. God has put before us, the Bible says, God has put before us death and life, blessing and cursing. And this is what he says, choose life that you may live. Okay, there's, there's death, there's life, there's blessing, there's cursing, and then God gives us the answer. Choose life that you may really live. Not just exist for 60, 70, 80 years, but have life abundantly now. 
and on the other side of our last heartbeat forever. If the Bible's true, that is God's promise, and it is true. But how do we deal with this? As if, we're in the, if we're in the wheelbarrow, look, uh, I'm not saying that there's no issues that we have to deal with. There are certainly issues that we have to deal with all the time. Um, and so how do we resist knowing these things? Well, I would argue again, knowing the Scripture... For the word of God is a weapon against the lies of Satan. Tonight at your tables, you may talk about Jesus going into the wilderness. When he went into the wilderness, the devil came to tempt him. And you'll talk about those things. How did Jesus overcome those temptations? Well, he used the word of God. He knew the word. He used the word. This is what the writer of the Hebrews writes here. He says, He himself put on flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus came in the flesh that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, the devil. And then James writes this, which is really interesting. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, how do I submit to God? Well, I'm just like we began with. Lord, the more I know your word, the more I spend time with you, the more I get to know you, the more I build up strength. I don't know if any of you guys spend any time working out. You can clearly see that I do. Um, Thank you for not so many of you laughing. Um, But if I'm going to build up strength physically, I'm going to do the things that are appropriate to do to build up physical strength. If I'm going to build up bicep muscle, I'm going to do curls and maybe pull-ups and things like that. I'm going to build up physical muscle. I'm going to do the things physically that I have to do to strengthen my frame, my body, my muscles. If I want to run, if I want to build up my, my, you know, strengthen my heart, I'm going to do cardiac work to strengthen my heart and my lungs and do all those things. Well, if I want to build up spiritual muscle against spiritual weakness, I'm going to do the things that are important to do to build up spiritual muscles. And that looks like being with God. It looks actually somewhat passive. As I read God's word, as I communicate with him, as I hang out with others talking about his word and I hang out with them, submit to him. That simply means be with him, listen to him, learn of him, enjoy him, communicate with him, be quiet before him. So as we come to know God, God is going to teach us what we need to know. The more we know him, the more we will be aware of and resist, be able to resist these attacks. So, first, um, I just want to just ask us, do, do you know where you are tonight? Do you know, if, if I were to, to take this and put this up here again, do you know where you are? 
If you're not sure, could I just encourage you? Just ask God the question. Are you depending on yourself and your own relative goodness? Or God's perfection, his perfection that came to us so that we could know him? I love what the psalmist said. Um, I'm going to have to go to this scripture now. And this is what the psalmist wrote. He said, he, think about this for yourself, would you? Just think about this. We talk about this personally. He reached down from on high. He took me. He drew me out of mighty waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. He delivered me because he delighted in me. If I were to tell you tonight, which I'm about to do, God's delight is in you to deliver you, to give you joy in the midst of maybe hopeless conditions, to give you meaning and purpose and peace where there's pent-up hurt and anger and unforgiveness. Those are all the things that are desiring to hold on to us to keep us from experiencing life in Christ. And that's what he has for us. Now, if you just look real quickly here at the, just back at page um, 66, as I'm going to close and get Eric to come up here, but I don't see him back there, so I'm going to have to. Um, the writer of the manual goes, where does evil come from? He says there's a triple alliance. There's the world, just the fact that the world is it's fallen, it's broken as a result of sin. Things don't work right because it's a broken world. The flesh. You and I can do some really screwy things. And every one of us in this room have done some really screwy, stupid, hateful, hurtful things. And we're still capable of doing that as long as we're in these bodies. And there is the devil. The enemy around, the enemy within, the enemy above. Does it necessarily, does everything necessarily have the devil behind it? I don't know. But he's the originator of it. Uh, So tonight, don't go home with your spouse. If she does something wrong or he does something wrong, just try to cast the demon out of them. I wouldn't suggest you do that. But know this, that there is one who has come only to steal and kill and destroy the life and the life more abundantly that God has promised us in Jesus Christ. So again, I want to encourage you tonight. Think about that diagram. Where are you? Where are you? And seriously think about this And take this very personally. So next week, uh, 
Pastor Collins, Keith Collins is going to come and he's going to speak to us about how important or what is the relevance of the church. And I think it's one of the best nights there there is. And so I really want to encourage you guys to come and be a part of that. I asked Eric Schmaltz. Eric is our worship leader here at Lakeview, one of the pastors who I and all of us who attend Lakeview are very grateful for. And I asked Eric at the very last minute tonight to uh, lead us in a song. Again, this is a way of communicating to God. Singing is a way to communicate with God. But I want you to just, again, if nothing else, just look at these words, ingest these words, welcome these words into your heart, hear them, and let God minister to you. Let God care for you as we sing this song together. came down to earth and made his home with men the hopeless found a hope the sinner found a friend not to the powerful but to the poor he came and humble hungry hearts were satisfied again sinful deed was scourged upon his back and hammered through his feet the innocent is cursed the guilty are released the punishment of God on God has brought feet your shame will be removed your joy will be complete come crucify your pride and enter as a child for those who bow down low he'll lift up to his side 
Lord, thank you for the love you showed us in sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for us. Thank you for overcoming our pride. Thank you for reaching down into our brokenness. Thank you for offering us hope and peace and joy. Offering us a relationship with yourself. Lord, I just pray for all of us in this room, Lord, that we would respond to that offer, that invitation, whether that's for the first time or for the hundredth time, or just to, to respond and say, Lord, thank you for your offer of hope and of joy and of peace and of love and of help. I want that. Lord, give faith for folks, for myself even tonight, Lord, just to respond to your goodness to us, your love. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Eric. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll get back to our tables. Thank you all so much for being here.